0: Welcome to the Nebraska Hawk's Nest. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes, living in enemy territory.
1: Listen, these guys are way past their time, but they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye height to all of Nebraska. The frost advisory is canceled! Corn huskers? More like corn suffers.
0: Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go! All righty. Welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. Make sure to take a little bit of time. Give us a like and subscribe because it puts a smile on Jerry's face and we don't get to see that very often. So we want to cash in on that as much as possible. We are blessed and lucky enough to be joined by a man that has too many influences and titles along with Iowa Athletics for us to really just put him into one category. Lon Olenzak, sir. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks Nest.
1: Great to be here and thanks for, we must be doing old timers week this week, but it's always fun to be uh, part of the Hawks. I got to ask, who's the young man that does the lead in there?
0: That is the Hawkeye hype kid. Um, so his he uh, made a, kind of a tribute video, uh, a pump well, yeah. video. Yeah, like some years ago it took off and then his dad actually reached out to me um, one of the okay. coolest guys ever. And his dad is a fan of the podcast that we do and everything. And okay. we actually like grew up like five minutes from each other and went to the same world. elementary school. Weird, small world. But his son is awesome. Great family. And so, yeah, we had a ton of fun doing that with them. And um, everybody that sees it for the first time, I love to watch the little window of the, of the person we're interviewing and watch them smile and light up every time they see it because he does such a great job.
1: Well, and I remember his hype video, and, I mean, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this one of you guys' relatives, for goodness <laughs> sakes? So, yeah. and, and I also want to point out, just uh, because of, of the age of some of the videos, that actually that touchdown against Nebraska, if you look closely, the guy that actually is one of the two guys blocking for Eddie Phillips is number
0: 88, me. Nice <laughs> that's awesome that's gonna make you feel good like you know you're saying like you are you're, you're trying to like allude to that you're old and irrelevant that you got you know guys like us that like we know who you are we want to talk to you like you're still you're still a man well, it's
1: just fun to see old videos and actually see I didn't whiff on the block. I actually <laughs> connected with somebody
0: no that's that's great stuff, and you know one thing that you know first question we wanted to ask you is you know Jerry um spearheaded a lot of the research on our interview with you and I you know, I looked up some stuff too and we couldn't pin down a position for you uh what what, what position or like positions did you play uh, for the Hawkeyes during your time
1: uh great question um so I was recruited as a quarterback and then um there were like 400 of us in line when coach Fry got here for that um in fact our first year Phil Seuss was the quarterback that my first year uh, at Iowa. So I started getting bored during practice. So I'd go line up as a receiver. Um, and then the coach that recruited me, Howard Sissel knew I could kick. So they'd put me down on the other end to do some punting and kicking. And so by doing that, I found my way onto the travel squad. And in doing that, then coach Brazier put me over on the defensive side. So I was a backup um to Kent Ellis and Reggie Roby um that freshman year but then I found my way onto the field um as the fifth DB and uh got to play a lot that year lining up at linebacker and then Coach Brazier made it so simple he goes okay Lon all you got to do is follow the fullback if he goes to block you go hit him if he goes out for a pass you follow him and other than that your job is just to go where the fullback goes and I had a great time. So then they moved me to tight end my sophomore year. Then uh, Coach uh, Fry and Coach Snyder moved me to wide receiver my junior year. I broke my leg and then went back to uh, tight end then my last year. But I also, until I broke my leg, did all the short punting, the extra points and the short field goals, and I
2: returned punts. I got I think, tired just listening to you. Yeah, I about think, that. I
0: think we just got the name for the interview. I'm going to call you the <laughs> 1980s Iron Man.
1: So it was, I'll give you my favorite story of doing all that though. Real quick is yeah. Reggie, as we all know, bless, you know, rest in peace. And and I believe the Ian Ray guy, the greatest punters um, ever, but that, that goes back to our earlier conversation. We only remember what we remember, but Reggie, could kick the ball so far. And I was the backup punter to him, but I also was on punt coverage and I used to get really tired real quick because I'd have to cover his punts, which would go a long way down the field. And then I'd have to hustle back and then punt the ball um, with the second group uh, when we do Thursday pregames. And it was, uh, I was in good shape.
2: You know what? (laughs) I heard you mention Reggie earlier and just kind of expand more on him. You know, his legacy is one I think Hawkeye fans just need to keep alive and continue because he was so great at his position. What was your experience like with Reggie personally, not just on the field, but off the field, the locker room, you know, tell us us more about Reggie.
1: Reggie's one of the nicest human beings that ever walked. Um, You know, no smoking, no drinking, nothing like that. I actually got to compete against him in baseball in high school from uh, East Waterloo when he was at East and he was a great athlete. So he was basketball, baseball, and football. And he started out playing baseball at Iowa also. Um, but he's just one of those guys that he's, you know, he got God, the gift of from God of a big man that was very flexible and very athletic and just had the great talent to kick the ball. Um But I would tell everybody that as an athlete, he was as good an athlete as anybody else that uh, plays at that level. Um, And the example I give people is Reggie in baseball. uh, We would practice in the winter spring in Kinnick. So if you think about the northwest corner, so you're facing, uh, which is now the children's hospital, Reggie hit more than one ball out of the stadium over to where uh, the children's hospital is now, and that's wow. a heck of a poke with a baseball. Um, and so he was just a, a great athlete, a phenomenal, obviously, punter and kicker. And for you know, it, I think he then he kicked in three decades in the in mm-hmm. the NFL. Um, and obviously, like did people didn't know um, he didn't know that he had the, the heart trouble, but great teammate great guy really actually pretty quiet and uh and he and he was a student of what he did he was always um practicing and filming and timing and doing things well ahead of his time in terms of making sure he dropped the ball step the right way did all those things and if you go back and watch the crazy thing about reggie is is his foot did not come off the ground his plant mm-hmm. foot when he kicked the ball, but his foot was above his—you know—his foot was way above his head. So that's a really flexible big man. His his legs were just huge
0: and just powerful. I can't even bend down and touch my toes. Oh. <laughs> that's a no kick, joke.
2: As a kicker, you know, as a kid, remembering that or those early '80s teams. But didn't Reggie used to continually run kickoffs through the goalposts as well? Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely he um
1: he would basically make a field goal on kickoffs and put it mm-hmm. into the stands um you remember now we were kicking from the 40 not the 35 um yeah. some so of them we, still would have made it <laughs> oh absolutely but I don't you know we don't want the fish story here it's mm-hmm. it's you know oh he was kicking at a hundred yards well he he was he was kicking at 60 out of the bat and so 60 and then another uh, so 70 and then so, you know,
2: a good 75, 80 yards with ease. The uh, I always remember, too, with Reggie, I don't, I, I can't remember the punchline, but back then they used to have the uh, Bob Hope All-American special. And I can always remember as a Hawkeye fan how exciting it was to uh, see Reggie run out there. And I think Bob Hope made a joke about one of his footballs uh, entering the atmosphere. Or it was something along those lines. But uh, it's always a great memory thinking back to that.
1: I remember the, the game after I I broke my leg, got to come back, and I sat up in the press box the first time I got to come back. Um, and so I don't know what level, but it doesn't matter. When Reggie would punt the ball, I'm not making this up, the ball would level off um, what looked like eye level to me when I was in the press box um, when he punted the ball. So everybody, when you go to King Stadium – look up at the press box and I don't care if you pick the lowest level or what level you pick picture a football going that high before it then starts to come down. And that's why he was so good at what he did.
0: Now, Lon, tell us about everything that you do for the university of Iowa, because it is so diverse and there's such an array of different things. We have had a really difficult time, like how do we introduce this guy? Because he is a jack of all trades. You do so many things. Could you kind of detail and walk us through how you've gotten to the position that you have with all, you know, having your hand in so many different things and, and what, all the, what all you do for the University of Iowa? Well, I'm just an advocate first
1: and foremost. Um, I really believe in what the university does uh, for young people And uh, obviously, as the state that we're in, it's, you know, it's a pretty small state. We don't have a lot of big, uh, we don't have professional teams, things like that. So, you know, Iowa's a big deal uh, in the state of Iowa. And so I just like to do whatever I can. So I don't, my only official role that I have is I have the privilege of being co-chair with Barb Randall of, Uh, the varsity club, soon to be the uh, letter winner's club. And um, that's the only official role I play. Uh, We've done some things. uh, When I was fortunate enough, Transamerica, where I used to work, it has uh, a big relationship and big supporter of the University of Iowa. So I was the liaison between the university and uh, Transamerica. And so Transamerica, obviously, when you go to the games, you see a lot of sponsorships and things like that. So I, I had that privilege of representing our company there um, and hosting a lot of uh, our friends and of, of the company at, at events like that. And then uh, Coach Ference and I um, are good friends, and so I get the privilege of uh, you know being around uh, he and his staff and. And uh, the kids a lot. And over the years, we've done some different things and with the, with the team. But we really don't advertise that because it's not about uh, the publicity. It's about trying to do some things to give the team an edge, give the kids an edge, and maybe give them an opportunity to um, grow and learn a little bit about themselves. But that was all just uh, Coach Ferentz and I cooking up some crazy stuff and doing some neat things and the kids buying into it. And uh, like I said, most people don't know what we did there and we really don't do any, we don't talk a lot about it other than it was leadership development.
2: Sure. Sure. You know, I guess, you know, when we were talking about it, I kind of would relate to Adam that I call you the ambassador of Hawkeye football. I mean, you, you really, (laughs) you know, to us fans, you really represent all that's great with it. Um, You know, we, uh, the Hawkeye legacy things, I always see your name mentioned with the alumni and different things. And then, You know, your family, the the Olinzac family is really synonymous with Iowa legacy. Tell us a little bit more, too, about the the other family ties and the other athletes in the family that have played. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, my
1: brother's 10 years younger. um, So he was uh, played. I got to make sure I keep it right. Eighty nine to ninety, you know, ninety three ish and was on a Rose Bowl team also. Um, So we are. One of the families that had, you know, Billy Happel and his dad, my brother and I. um, I don't, well, the the Stoopses were on there together right at the same time. But uh, so Jason and I were on two different teams, obviously. But so we both had the opportunity to play football and baseball at the university, which is a great honor. Um, And then, you know, our father has had a lot of success as a coach. Um, And that set us up well to uh, handle and understand what you need to do to be successful in uh,
2: athletics. And you've got a niece. Didn't, didn't you have a niece that played volleyball there as well, or did I? Did uh, I uh, Jason's daughter
1: Emma uh, was on the softball team. She's now going to go to grad school and play at Murray State. Okay. Um, so yeah, we uh, Emma played or was on the team there, and uh, you know we. Sports are important in the family, you know. Actually, you talk about wrestling. Uh, Jason's son is also he's he's wrestles for uh, Coach Schwab up at UNI, and he's a red oh, wow. shirt. He'll be a red shirt sophomore. So, um, yeah, That's sports is kind of an important thing in our family.
0: So, speaking of sports, going back to your high school career at Decora, um, tell us a little bit about how your experience in that town and that high school shaped you as an athlete and really helped you transition to the University of Iowa?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, I think part of it was being, uh, I mean, not part of it. A big part of it is, is when your dad coaches and uh, coaches and teachers don't make a lot of money. So, you know, mom and dad would divide and conquer with kids. And I have um, three sisters. And uh, then my brother Jason and I, and then we actually had somebody live with us when I was in high school. But growing up, as soon as you were done with school, we headed over to where dad was coaching. And so every day uh, we got some type of sports interaction because dad would have things he would uh, ask us to do while we were there. And it wasn't like he was telling us to do it, but he would say, here, why don't you go do this? And it just so happened that some of the managers of the sports that he was coaching would help us. Uh, um, and so we would practice every day. And, um, and, but the magic then came every day after practice, dad would spend anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour in whatever sport he was coaching. So he coached actually baseball, football and basketball So we did that since the time we were five years old until we went to college. Um, And we took it, it was fun. We got to be with dad and we were hanging around uh, high school kids and getting to be going to the games and ride on the bus and do all that kind of stuff that we just thought was neat. But you were basically learning the language of sports and the the life of sports and you, you start to see things differently and my point is, is um, you know, you guys have ever heard of the 10,000-hour rule? If you do something uh, for 10,000 hours, you become an expert, especially if you do it right.
0: I have heard that.
1: And, and it's all about just repetition, right? Well, I will guarantee you we had 10,000 hours of repetition between our between the time we were 5 and 18, between all the sports and then when we got on the teams we got on. So if we weren't successful, it was really on us, not because we didn't have an opportunity. So that's, a, that's and, and our dad, um, Dennis is our dad. Dad is um, a fierce competitor and a big cheerleader of everybody that he ever coaches. So he, he competes as hard as the kids um, and he holds you to a high standard of accountability But in doing so, then that sets your standard at a level that you expect to get the best out of yourself. And that bodes pretty well when you get to the next level then, Um, because you're competing against yourself and trying to do the best you can do. Now, the one story, though, that I will then add to that is, the so I'm at Iowa for like a week and a half. And I call home and I'm like, you know what? this is going to be a little interesting here. I'm not sure. I, uh, you know, basically I don't know if I fit. And my dad's like, what do you mean? You don't fit. And I said, well, I'm working out with these guys and there's this guy that I met first guy I met walking in the dorm that's bigger than me and taller and weighs more. And I have a hard time running as fast as he does. And my dad's like, well, yeah, you are a a big tent school. I said, I know, but holy smokes, this guy, you know, our defensive end, Dave Akery in high school, wrestled, I think, at like 165 pounds or something, right? He might have weighed 170 pounds in high school. This guy that I'm running against that plays defensive end, he's like 260, 65 pounds and can really move. And my dad's like, who is that? And I'm like, well, his name's Andre Tippett.
0: (laughs) Oh, Yeah.
1: And, uh, and uh, I'm like, Dad, this, guy, this is a whole different level here. And he goes, just put your head down. You're a, you aren't even started yet. You're a freshman. Just do the best you can do. But so he prepared us and high school prepared us. But until you get there, you really don't realize how talented everybody is until you show up every day and start seeing who you're standing
2: next to. And there's a lot of talented people. Adam and I only have 9,950 hours to go before we sound like, you know, podcasters. So,
0: yeah, maybe more.
2: <laughs> Might need some extra credit on that one. But, you know, Lon, go ahead and uh, build on that then your high school life and decor and, you know, how your dad trained you. But take us now because, you know, you were recruited, I believe, in 78 or 79. I I graduated in 79. So okay. um, everybody
1: thought I was going to probably play baseball because that's the most recognition I got in high school. Um, had, again, a lot of success. I really didn't grow until my uh, junior. So I was not super, I wasn't large. And then I grew like six inches between my ninth and 10th grade year. Uh, I didn't put on a lot of weight. So I was a beanpole. So My brain knew what I was supposed to do with sports, but eh, the body couldn't always deliver on what my brain wanted to do. And I mean, I got eaten up at the state basketball tournament as a sophomore by these two guards in Atlantic because they were seniors and I was a sophomore and holy smokes. I looked good for about the first three minutes and then they figured me out and that was the end of that. But I I didn't like football um, like I liked football. I played football and was good at football, but I didn't like football till the end of my junior year because I finally got some size. Then football became really fun. But baseball, football, and basketball, um, I had the privilege of being recognized in all three of those sports at the state level and uh, was offered to play all of those different sports at different levels. Um, But – Growing up, everybody would always say, well, you're playing because your dad's the coach. And that always was a little chip on my shoulder, right? And I I pretty much proved I del- uh, deserved that. But there's always, you know, people that would say, oh, yeah, your dad's the coach. That's why you're playing. Because I played as a ninth grader on the varsity in baseball. And uh, the short version of that story is is everybody thought at best I might kick when I got to college but i was probably going to play baseball so i decided i was going to play football to prove everybody wrong um and that's kind of the 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 motive of why i decided and then when coach fry got to town or to the state and uh decide excuse me decided that um that he was going to be the coach because i was not actually i i had it narrowed down to nebraska in Missouri, um, if you remember, Phil Bradley was the quarterback uh, at the time, and he played football and baseball. was a great athlete for them. He hosted me at uh, the University of Missouri, so that's where I was going until Coach Fry came, and then Coach Fry w- did a great job of recruiting. He and uh, Coach Sissel uh, spent a lot of time in Decora, and then his the thing that hooked me was Coach Price said, Lonnie, I'm going to play my guys. So if you can prove to me that you are equal to or better than someone, you're going to play um, right away. And if you remember at that time at Nebraska, the best chance you were, get, the earliest you were going to play unless you were a phenom was probably about your junior year um, because of, they just were loaded. Um, they were loaded with talent and they had just a ton of, great athletes. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going with coach Fry Cause I think I can, I think I can prove myself and get to play. And fortunately I was lucky enough. I got to start playing as a freshman and
0: had a great time. Was it tough for you to make that decision with the lack of success that Iowa had, had the previous 19 to 20 years?
1: Uh, you know, young athletes are arrogant, right? And so we think, well, we can go there and we'll be the ones that'll turn it around. And uh, and I thought, you know what? I'm not, I do, I know how to win. I assume they're recruiting guys that know how to win. And um, I was naive in that I didn't know what at all it took other than we'd go to a game a year down at Kinnick and, and watch Iowa. So dad um, was a very strong supporter of the University of Iowa. And he would take, Take us there to see, you know, the environment and obviously entice you to the fact that, hey, you want to be a part of this. But no, you know, as an athlete, you think we'll get it done. And it took us two years. I mean, if you ask any guys on that 81 team um, or guys that we played with, because there were some great guys that played the first two years, too. um, They just didn't have the good fortune of being coached by Coach Fry and staff. Um, we got, we got sick of losing, I guess is the best way to say it. And we had a little saying that, cause everybody after the game, you know, in those first two years, everybody go, Oh, how about them Hawks? Right. Kind of making fun of the fact that, Oh yeah, here we go again. We're not, uh, we're not winning. And that kind of became a motivation to the team that, you know what, why not us? Why can't we pull together? We are, We all used to be able to, in our respective uh, growing up, we all won. So, why not now? Um, And that was kind of the light bulb going on with all of us um, in the spring of 80, going in, or the spring of 81, going into the fall of 81 season. And that's the rest is history.
2: You know, Lon, I I love the fact that you're, you know, we're starting into Hayden Fry because, you know, one of the things we really wanted to talk to you about was. Hayden's use of psychology, you know, he brought in, he changed the Tiger Hawk, you know, the logo to the Tiger Hawk. He brought in the Steelers uniforms because that was the team of the, you know, the the team at the time, Um, the double standing tight ends at the line, you know, to look more imposing (laughs) the pink locker room. I mean, you know, you're talking about when the team finally got tired of losing, but I mean, how much of that psychology played into it? What did you guys think of all these changes he was bringing in when he was doing them? Well, again coach was the man right everybody i mean none
1: of us could can say all that he's done or meant for us right because he gave us the chance i mean we were his first recruiting class and although we all had accolades as high school athletes reggie was the was the guy right that that's the big name all the rest of us were big guys in a small pond or a big pond really i mean uh because Iowa kids at the time, you know, you, you, we do find in the state, but it's a whole different level if you start looking at the levels of some of the, the metro complexes across the country. So he, he his psychology was, you know, we're gonna we're gonna show these people. So he loved being an underdog. Um, you know that first game where we blew the lead against Indiana. It, it's not. Uh, folklore you know he basically told anybody that he saw smiling after that game just because it was close because the crowd gave us a sustaining ovation going off the field we just lost the game and he basically said i see anybody smile i'll knock the smile off you you know because that's not what we're here to do we're not here to get close so it took him uh a few years to build that i think it took him a while to get uh an offense, you know, offense is obviously um, that there's some growth and gelling that goes on with that. And you got to give Coach Ference a lot of credit for that, actually, because if, if you guys remember the first two years, we had offensive linemen in four point stances mm-hmm. um, and then Coach Ference came and we went back to more of a traditional stance. And all of a sudden pass blocking became uh, an art and. The other thing is, is there were more and more athletes that were showing up on the offensive side of the ball because back then our defense could play with anybody. Um, That that group, and again, we talked about it, you can't compare eras, okay, because times are different, athletes are different. But for our time, those guys that were on our defensive side of the ball were as tough and hard to score on as any group um, that I've ever been around for their time. So it wasn't the defense, and obviously we had a great kicker in Reggie, um, but we just needed the offense to grow, and when that offense grew, we knew that spring when we could go and compete with the ones and twos with the offense that we had a chance. And the other thing about that, you guys, Coach was a master at picking coaches Um, yeah clearly i'll hold his staff against any staff maybe at any any time in terms of success and so that allowed coach to be everybody's buddy and he was the good he was he got to put his arm around all the guys and he held the coaches accountable for holding us accountable so he got to be the good guy
0: <laughs> so we were able we were able to obtain a recruiting video from uh, during your time at Iowa, and it's clear to see after you know we check that out. It's pretty hard to say no to a to a program like this. So we're going to play this video real quick, and for everybody that's uh, listening on podcasts, get on YouTube and watch this interview because it's a it's a visual treat. You're gonna really you really want to see this. So we're gonna check this out and and ask you what you think of this afterwards.
2: The new Iowa football program is the Hayden Fry style of football. Aiden Fry is a daring and innovative
1: coach, and his teams are known to play a wide open and exciting brand of football. Iowa football is the kind of action football that attracts widespread fan support. Iowa home games are cheered by 60,000 enthusiastic
2: fans, and Iowa teams traditionally rank in the top 20 in attendance among major colleges. Iowa action football is unparalleled by its media coverage. Unchallenged by major professional sports in the area, Iowa players receive the attention of over 100 newspaper writers,
1: 15 radio stations, and numerous TV stations from coast to coast. The Hawkeyes truly draw a crowd. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. So I don't know what you thought of that. I was kind of like a time machine pulling you back right. in. But is that anything you've seen before?
1: Yeah, I actually had. And it's it's great because a couple things that I saw there. First, you, I saw Coach Cecil, the, the gentleman that was recruited me and rest his soul. One of the funniest guys I've ever been around. And he's got more jokes than uh, you, I can even remember. You saw how young Dan McCarney was. You saw Coach Jackson with with uh, a full head of hair. You know when's he seen? When have you seen Coach Jay with a full head of hair? But I saw guys that most people wouldn't even recognize. But that was that first year because you know they had to they shot the coaches. So you Dwayne Williams, you know, great running back. Um, that was number twenty three. Um, but he, he had a bad knee. Uh, Dean McKillop was the number 35, the guy that was blocking, um, and would, you know, just tougher and all get out. Um, uh, I, I saw, I, I saw Matt Petrazelka um, as you know, that when he was an offensive lineman there and I remember living next door to him and ian and Jay Hildenberg. I mean, holy smokes, there's two, uh, neighbors to draw to there, um, and sorry about that Hilgi and, and Petro. I won't tell any stories about you guys, but the uh just great memory, right but what your your point was how do you not the the stands are full, and people are cheering and going crazy, and we hadn't even had a winning season, and that would have been well, the eighteenth losing season that year before, or whatever it was right
2: yeah. I, li- I liked how the uh, spin on that when it said Iowa consistently uh, finishes in the top half of the division, in attendance. <laughs> so, right. Right. you know. exactly,
1: exactly. But at least hey. I mean, you you come to the game, there's going to be people cheering for you, um, and that I do remember that people were always very upbeat coming in the game and and would be positive. You didn't you didn't hear there was not a lot of booing or any, anything, so. At least they were uh, they were true fans and and were supportive regardless of what was going on.
2: Sure. You know, you know, Lon, we're just we're I mean, I think we could carry on this conversation all night, but let's get into the meat of that 1981 football season. You know, Um, you know, uh, I guess around here we have a special um, place for that 10 to 7 win over Nebraska that set the tone for the season. We hear a lot yeah. about it, and of course, on this side of the Missouri River, we really, really enjoy that. But, um, you know, what take us through that? You know, the UCLA game the following week kind of maybe gets lost in the shadow of that Nebraska victory. When, right. and when, and when was it this team just really realized, hey, we're we're round in a corner here that we can really make this a special season? That's
1: a great question.
2: I, I will just go back. I think that spring we
1: realized we had a chance. Um, so the spring before. It was very competitive between uh, the offense and the defense. So that was the first time in my, uh, this is going to be our, my third year that that had happened. Um, so we thought we had a chance. Um, and, you know, the, the first year Nebraska, we had a heck of a game with them. Right. And it was, it was, go- things were going really well and, you know, they had to really work hard uh, to beat us. And so, we knew we could play with them. Obviously, we went. Um, did we? <laughs> did we play them three, four years in a row?
2: It was something like that. Um, I can't remember the exact I think, number.
1: So I think, we, I think they so. beat us. They beat us in a competitive game. They smoked us, um, and then that year coming in, we kind of felt like if we could get on top of them um, and score a little bit, the defense was going to kind of hold on And it, they, you know, they had, they were trying to figure out who their quarterback was going to be They had great running backs. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously. I mean, when Roger Craig has to, um, you know, he, he got to play a little bit because they had so many guys um, that that tells you how deep they were, but, They were, they, their quarterback wasn't what they were used to. And so we thought we had a chance. And then the other thing we did is we threw a little bit of a twist and we went unbalanced, um, the first, first series. And, um, I got to keep my Williams straight. I think Jimmy was the defensive end, I think, because he and I, I as tight end, I had to try and block his, uh, block him. And he was a great football player for Nebraska. And we lined up that year um, uneven. So I lined up uh, next to uh, the tight end. And so he looked at me like, what are you guys doing? And I looked at him and I said, I think we got you. And that first time we had the ball, we started running the ball right down the throat. Um, And we knew then that we had chance and then we score um, and then it was just a defensive battle. Um, And then we got down close and I don't know if Reggie, Reggie missed one. I can't remember, but actually the field goal that I kicked was longer than I was normally supposed to kick. But coach just looked at me and said, Lonnie, go kick. (laughs) <laughs> and I think part of that was is because I was uh, a receiver, so I was already on the field. I didn't have time to think about uh, kicking field goals when I kicked because I started kicking the previous year as a sophomore. I did a lot of uh, f- extra points and field goals. or I got to do mm-hmm. that. And so because I was on the field, I would have to rip my shoe off. They'd throw – I used the old square toe, and we got to cheat. We got those – platforms that we got to kick off so they would throw the platform out throw throw my shoe off I would have to take my uh normal shoe off put that shoe on tie quickly nod um to I I can't remember who held oh Gordy to Gordy Bohannon nod to Gordy and kick the ball so I had no time to think about missing you know kickers now they're all they do is stand on the sideline and wait to kick um I suppose I might have been a basket case too, but I didn't have time to worry about that. So it's just like, let's kick the ball. And um, it went through no problem, and that ended up being the difference in the game. So we won 10-7. And you can't recreate that. Um, And the reason we we talk about that, because then that's led to a season, like you said, where UCLA, we beat UCLA in between there. We laid an egg and lost to the Cyclones. Um, But we had a lot of big wins that year. And the point is, is that season then is the first season we win in 20 years. And so all the great teams that followed us, we still get to say we were the first. Mm. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And we're actually get to celebrate that. It's been 40 years. (laughs) So we're celebrating that this year. uh, uh, The same game that they're going to honor Andre Tippett for going into the College Hall of Fame. I think it's the Minnesota game. I think it's November 12th. Um, the 81 team gets to come back together again because it's been 40 years.
2: Phenomenal.
0: Well, that's cool. That'll be really interesting to see. Hopefully, like, for everyone that's not on at that game, that they're going to actually, you know, broadcast that part of, <laughs> of the game on on BTN ESPN or whatever that's on. But... Uh, we, Lon, we got to cut the, this first session short. We got a million questions for you. I don't even think we got halfway through for everything we, we wanted to talk to you we, about. We got
2: through two of the last 40 years, just in just under a yeah, hour Yeah, so. So,
0: uh, we're going to have to schedule part two of this interview very, very soon. Um, hopefully, you know, Jerry can get that set with you in the next week or two, because we want to keep this momentum going. Cause we had an absolute blast just in this first 40 minutes talking to you.
1: Oh, I was going to say, so you, you if you give me the questions, then I can maybe be more succinct. Is that what you want me to be? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no, we,
0: yeah, you're doing a great job just on the fly. I don't think we need yeah, to send you anything. We don't, you're we don't want it We don't
2: want it scripted. You know, they always say, you know, whatever comes, you know, shoot from the gut, and that's the best answer. So, uh, you know, we'll take what you give us, and uh, but we well, don't want it scripted. I really
1: appreciate the opportunity. You know, it's all of us that have gotten to do this um, cherish it. And it's uh an honor to represent the Hawks. It's always amazing that we're remembered. Um but it's fun to be able to say that we we got to walk on to Kinnick and play uh college football. That's the dream of any Iowa
2: kid. Well, oh. as we as we talked about before the interview, you know, I it's my personal belief and maybe it's just because that was my first memory, but I really think that eighty one team really gets overlooked the you know the coaching tree in the mid 80s and the 85 team being number one it was a great great thing and oh, i'm not yeah. running that down but that 81 team you know you when i was we were preparing for this and you're seeing names like you know kittle bohannon stoops Tippett, hilgenberg bortz chuck long was a freshman i believe ron halstrom right. ron halstrom went on to the packers i believe And right. you look at all the contributions that everybody on that team has had whether hawkeye legacy whether going pro it's just an amazing group to me, and I just i I, I want to make sure that eighty one team is front and center here with us.
0: well, it changed the course of Hawkeye football for the next forty years
2: yeah we we like to think that right and
1: and and in fairness, it had a big part of that, but every every year you got to show up and do it, but yes, we joked about it earlier, you know, for all my 80, 85 uh youngsters, you know the guys that get a lot of publicity they learned it from the 81 team. So we always tell Chuck and, and uh, those guys, come on now, you learned it from the 81 team. Come, you know, we, we gave you a taste of the Holy grail of the Rose bowl and, and you guys had to get back there. So, but you're right. <laughs> it's uh, it's special. It really is. I mean, Ron Halston was a defensive lineman when he came and then he ends up going to the NFL and having a great career. Right. So, Coach, those are great examples and great stories. You know, like you're talking about, I could. Great stories: Bobby Stoops, Bruce Kittle, um, as captains. You know, you can't. They're they are just great leaders. It was just there's a lot of great stories with every one of those guys.
2: Well, I tell you what, we're going to do is to honor the time period. We're just going to come back and make this like the old mini series. We're going to have like a seven <laughs> to ten part mini series of Lonnie and Zach and just kind of continue this, because yeah, I, I could well, we'll listen to you tell stories all night.
1: But you just reminded me of the last one. I want to finish one, and then we're done. My roommate, Lou King, he's
0: mm-hmm. still
1: – look at Lou's still up there with the interceptions. So everybody remembers Desmond, right, mm-hmm. who is a great football player and a great, great man, Desmond King. My yep. roommate, Lou King, is tied with Desmond for the number of uh, interceptions in a, in a season, right? And you couldn't shake Lou on the field if you tried. He Every time you turn around, it's like in your hip pocket. It's like, come on, Lou, give me a chance. So uh, all that, 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 you just bring back a lot of memories when you start talking about that stuff.
0: This has been so much fun. I uh, I hate cutting this off. This is like, uh, it's very difficult to do. But we are nope. going to schedule part two of this. We've had an absolute blast. I'm sure all the diehard Hawk fans are going to love hearing this. And, you know, Lon, we really look forward to part two of this. And um, I'm sure Jerry probably be reaching out to you uh, sometime tomorrow to get that scheduled. But thanks for taking time out of your day to talk with us.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, gentlemen, and I and uh, again, thank you and go Hawks.
0: All right, go, go Hawks. Hawks. <laughs> uh.